0: Welcome, everybody, to the Happy at Work podcast. We are so excited today to have Rebecca Tabor stalin and Connor Demond Yeoman here joining us from Merit America. Welcome!
3: Thank you so much.
0: Great yes, to be here. Awesome. We're, We're so, so happy. So
3: happy to be here. Oh, I'm good. Happy. <laughs>
0: We're gonna title. hear that a couple of times. Happy. <laughs> yes, we're well, we're very glad that you're here too. So let's start. We just love to jump in and just learn about people's kind of career and h- career history. So I'd love for you all to start um by just sharing a little bit about, about that. So maybe we'll start with Connor and then Rebecca.
3: So it all begins in the 80s in a sleepy town of Chesterland, Ohio. Now I so Rebecca and I let me let me start where the most the most relevant chapter of my career which is where i met rebecca who is my work wife life partner uh spiritual partner comedic foil we uh we first met in at coursera um about a decade ago actually we hadn't we had a, another embarrassing way that we met that we don't that we might not want to share on this podcast but uh we met at coursera about 10 years ago where we had the the honor of of working with an amazing team and and building the b2b business which was uh which was focused on providing coursera's content to nonprofits and governments and companies uh, around the world and it was there that not only we learned how much we loved working together and the potential for our partnership but also some of the real promise and limitations of, of online learning, especially for uh, working adults across the country, which was the the impetus for a lot of what we do at Merit America.
4: Sure. Well, uh, Connor hit the launch pad for Merit America, but even backing up from then, we were both really motivated by education from our family. So my grandparents were all Eastern European immigrants who saw the potential of education to help them. Achieve the American Dream, and I was very much sold this bill of goods that go to school, work hard, and every door will be open to you. And while to some extent that that was true for me, given my my own background, I would work in schools since a very young age. I volunteered starting in high school through college, after college, and saw that that actually is not the case for the majority of Americans. And if you are in a low income school that lacks significant resources. You can work as hard as you want, but you're not going to have every door open to you. And so Connor and I, both early in our careers, worked on K-12 education and were really inspired by the work we did there and uh, to make sure that everyone has options in the future. But what really motivated both of us to go to Corsair in the first place was seeing that even when uh, schools were getting better and equalizing opportunity and becoming launch pads for the future, when that didn't work out. When someone graduated high school, went to college, and couldn't finish because it was too expensive, it was too hard to balance with family and other obligations, we'd kind of give up on them. They'd hit the workforce, get stuck in retail, food service, the gig economy, and our answer at that point would be, well, we have all these great early childhood education programs for your kids to do better next time. And we didn't want to give up on folks just because they were out of the formal education system, so that drew both of us to work on online education and ultimately Merit America.
1: Very cool. So tell us a little bit about Merit America. How did you, I know you you both are the co-founders, co-CEOs, if I believe. And, um, you know, had, you talked a little bit about your experience working together at Coursera and a little bit of background, but tell us more about the mission, the vision you have for Merit America and, you know, h- how you work together to bring this mission to life.
3: You know, like Rebecca said, we really don't have an answer Answer for low wage working adults in this country, despite the fact that there are 53 million people who are stuck in low wage work right now, 53 million folks in the gig economy, in hospitality, in food service who are working in difficult jobs uh, and working full time, often with multiple dependents. And they're not they're barely making enough if not not making enough to to feed their family and uh, and despite the side of this this challenge we 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 don't have a scalable solution as rebecca said you know our, our solution is often let's let's push folks back to higher education or let's say hey we'll do better next time with their kids and so merit america is the first scalable pathway to the middle class for these working adults, for for folks who are in low wage work, who want to access that next great opportunity, but don't have the time or money to do it because they are stuck in that work. And at the highest level, the, the model is taking exceptional online content and then wrapping around world-class coaching and support and without those two pieces it it all kind of falls apart You, you need you need both and if if there's there's one thing that we do really well it is that it is that coaching um that helps folks not only understand what to take but also how to complete it and then after you complete it how do you apply it for a new opportunity the unifying force for all of our work is driving wage gains into the pockets of our of our learners and we have the lofty aspiration of being the first nonprofit unicorn which means we will drive a billion dollars in wage gains into the pockets of hard working Americans across the country and we are on track to hit that target after several years next year so it's a really exciting time for us and our growth uh especially now that we are what, 200 plus people spread across the country.
1: That's amazing. Can I ask a quick question to Rebecca about the business model for this, for Merit America? How does, how does this, what is your business model and how do you actually make this come to life and make this happen?
4: Well, we are a nonprofit, but we always say nonprofit is a tax status. It is not a business plan. And so while we are very grateful for philanthropic partners who subsidize our model, our goal is to actually get to full operating sustainability. Uh, As of this year, we're covering about $0.60 on every dollar with earned revenue, uh, more than a lot of those VC-backed unicorn startups, uh, and we are on a path to full sustainability in the next two to three years. And so the way that we earn the revenue to cover our costs uh, really comes from two different streams. One is from learners who commit to paying us back and paying it forward once they get a great new job. So if you are stuck in low wage work, you don't have to quit your job or pay a dime up front to go through our programs. But if and when you get a job above a salary threshold, you'll pay a small monthly fee, about $95 a month uh, for up to five years that you are in uh, that great new job. So it's a way that we, we really cover our costs by capitalizing on the success of our graduates that they have moved on to new and better careers, our program completers. Uh, the second way that we earn revenue is from partners who uh, pay Merit America either to hire our graduates or to train their populations up front. So we've got tons of employer hiring partners, and then we've got big partners like Amazon that uh, work with us to help their fulfillment center workers get skills and get training while they're in those jobs for great jobs within or outside of Amazon.
2: That's a really interesting model. And, uh if I could double click on that first revenue stream, where the graduates have the option to pay back if they if they've done well, of the population that did qualify to to pay back, what percentage are actually on a payment program? I'm curious if you if you have that data.
4: Yeah, so it's the vast majority. So they sign that contract up front uh, that says uh, zero dollar, zero percent loan that they're getting that gets triggered if and when they have that successful outcome. Uh, and we we track all sorts of metrics related to it. But last I saw of the folks who were eligible, the vast majority, you know, 90% plus were paying it forward. Uh, and they're paying it forward because they realized that they were given an opportunity that they want to enable for someone else because of this financial model.
2: What a, what a nice way for them to let they let them know that you're appreciated for what you did. That's
3: really nice. Totally. And what a travesty that the broader education workforce landscape doesn't work this way, right? Well, I mean, what what a what a travesty that the ROI of most educational opportunities is so obfuscated, so uh, so difficult to to understand and value, and that the risk is entirely on the consumer. Like the risk is. Especially given not only because it is such a high cost and an and an unknown ROI of what you get at the end, but then also given that the majority of folks, especially in the the demographics that we serve, they don't finish. So it's 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 like you know someone trying to to sell a car, which could be really good, uh, and you're paying for the car with time and treasure over time, and you don't know if you're going to get the car at the end. And if you do get the car, you don't actually know if it's going to take you where you want to go. And this is a, this is a question that we're, or this is a a risk and a decision point that we're putting uh on all of these individuals who have, have so much to offer, um, but often get trapped in the current system, trapped in, in debt, trapped in, in multi-year programs that, that they might not complete. And, and I think that we're we're really excited to to partner with 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 folks in, in higher education and community colleges. There's so many there's so many individuals and leaders who really understand this and get this and 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 want to do right by by working adults in this country, but are, are are shackled by a lot of these these norms. And so we're hoping that this financing mechanism that um, uh, that we developed alongside folks at Google and social finance. Uh, could be a model for broader policy change and 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 a, and a change in how we approach financing education broadly in this country
2: i i think it's great that you've got a model that that's working that that actually brings in kindness to it and i wanted to ask about your employees and the people that are working in your organization what are you doing internally to make sure that that their employee experience is great? Are there any policies that have worked really well that you'd like to share with our listeners? Could we start with uh Rebecca and then we'll then we'll turn to Connor?
4: Sure. Uh well, it's funny, being in the business of the future of work, we said early on that we wanted to be modeling what it means to be a best-in-class employer, not just <laughs> working with employers and telling them what they should do. And so, a few practices that we're we're really proud of. Um, first is very. I mean, we've never had uh, bachelor's degree requirements for any of our hiring. That's if we had a magic wand. The biggest thing we'd like to see in the country today. There's an amazing campaign called Tear the Paper Ceiling campaign that says uh, it says the truth, which is unfortunately uh, over 80% of Latinx Americans and over 70% of Black Americans in the workforce do not have college degrees. So when you require a college degree for a job that doesn't necessarily need one, you are shutting out uh, diverse, historically marginalized talent. So from our very beginning, we said uh, we will hire based on skills, not degrees.
1: Can I ask a quick question of you, Rebecca, on, just on that point? Did Have you seen LinkedIn's latest research report on that? There's been a 40% increase in job descriptions, job uh, not requiring college degrees any longer.
4: Yeah, we are so excited by yeah. that. We, yeah. we like to uh, consider ourselves part of that movement. And we've seen, starting a few years ago, a small number of employers raise their hand and start experimenting with that, like IBM and JP Morgan Chase, and now it becoming more and more mainstream. And what we think is going to be most important is, one, that this change takes effect everywhere, and two, that it's not a change in name only, where, yeah, the job posting didn't require a degree, but the people hiring really did. And they they still sorted folks out. So we've seen the companies where this has really taken hold. Don't just say, we're going to remove degree requirements. They actually build new talent pipelines with partners like Merit America to get high quality, diverse talent without degrees in the door. And they set actual targets for folks who are hired who don't have degrees. Um, 110 is an example of an amazing nonprofit coalition that's driving that work too, and opportunity at work. So we're we're really excited by that movement. And we probably think we're in, you know, the second inning of what will hopefully be a really game changing uh, movement.
3: Wow. You landed the sports metaphor. I know.
4: I, I don't think I did because I said second we inning normally, of game changing. It should be second. Game inning. Change,
3: but you've got game in it and second inning, which was just, I thought, so
4: it's
3: it's terrifying when we do that because we don't, I mean, we, we you know, I like to play sports. But we don't, we, we don't, no sports, so anytime we're doing the sports <laughs> metaphor, it's like I'm I'm on the edge of my seat because we I don't know if she'll be able to pull it off, and I can't plus one it. So <laughs> way to stick the landing, back. Oh. Ah, there's another one. Stick the landing.
0: Uh, nice, <laughs> nice. Perfect. So happy I didn't drop the ball. It's a perfect segue to to my next question. um <laughs> really thinking about the culture at Merit America. So I think some of the things that you were already sharing with us, Rebecca, sort of get into, start to get into what you probably fundamentally value. But I'm curious about the culture you're trying to build with your own employees. And I would love for you to touch a bit on humor because I have a feeling that is part of what happens in the day-to-day work at Merit America. is some pretty fun, some pretty fun interactions.
3: Sure. Happy to.
4: Connor, I I buried the lead on the four day work week. We got to We got to talk about the four day work week on a podcast about happy at work.
3: Oh, absolutely. We can come back to that, but only if we look back to it via sportsman before. Um, So our, it's such a good question, Laura. I think our, our culture, I mean, it starts with the values and I'm, Rebecca and I are so proud of our values and how they show up at our organization and, you hear a lot about values and mission and vision at, at different startups and organizations. And I think for many organizations, there's something that sit on a poster on the wall and collect dust. But one of the reasons Merit America is such a special place to work is because people actually live and breathe these values because we hire for these values. We evaluate performance and we have discussions, feedback discussions on these values. and. And that has been such a clarifying, unifying force for our, for, for our culture, uh, because culture is, it, it, uh, it, i think it's difficult to know exactly what people mean when they're talking about culture. It, it's kind of an opaque thing. It's something that you—it's something that you feel. It's something that's like in the fabric of a place. But if we dial down and, and or, or really narrow in on what what is driving that culture, I think it is these values. So I think big and act with conviction. Uh, deliver results, win and lose together, learn constantly, care deeply, enjoy the ride. All of those are really core to what we do. And, you know, I ended with, with enjoy the ride because that's a really important part of, of the way that Rebecca and I lead and, and, and structure the, the organization to, to allow people to not only deliver exceptional results for our, for our learners and uh, to constantly be, be learning and to be thinking big and experimenting and winning and losing together, but to ensure that we are doing so in such a way that people can savor this journey because it'll be over so fast. And before we know it, the exceptional teammates that we are working with, we're all gonna be reading about Merit America in a book looking back and like oh my gosh how did this organization drive 100 billion in wage gains and what was the story of how these employees did it and we're living that reality right now we have the honor of, of being in this moment right now and and it just goes by so so quickly and i think that that posture also allows us as leaders to come to this work with such a sense of gratitude and and trying to return to presence as much as we can recognizing that like raising a kid, Becca has this amazing kid, one of the most beautiful kids I've ever seen or played with or been with. And even me as Uncle Connor watching watching Jacob grow up, it's just, it's going so fast. And if you have a similar posture towards an organization, recognizing that you know even the speed bumps, even the really difficult moments and the fires are all something that's part of the journey and something that can be, be cherished and again, grounded in a sense of mindfulness and presence. I think it's our great hope that that trickles down to the rest of the organization and can create ultimately a more sustainable, enjoyable, productive journey for employees at Marin America.
0: Wow. That's so impressive, Connor. I love the way you said that. Rebecca, would would you share with us also about the four-day work week
4: um, that you all provide? So back in the Coursera days, Connor and I, before you even knew that we were going to be starting an organization together, we talked a lot about what do we think will change in the future of work and how can companies get ahead of it? And obviously, first and foremost, let's get rid of degree requirements. Let's make sure we have equitable practices at every stage of an organization's life cycle. Um, that we're centering diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, th- that's our our top line. But under that top line, we think a lot of what Connor shared about how we work and is how we spend our days, is how we live our lives. How can we continue to push the envelope there and create structures for people to live fuller lives, both at work and not at work? And so over 10 years ago, we started talking about a four-day work week. And when some really promising research came out of New Zealand about the impact it was having and uh no decreases to productivity but increases in employee well-being. We we took the plunge. And so we started a pilot over a year and a half ago, almost close to two years ago. We started with a six-month pilot of a four-day work week, and the results were so tremendous that we moved to a uh full-fledged rollout of that. So that means we treat Friday like a Saturday or Sunday. It doesn't mean you absolutely can't work. It means you should be able to get your work done Monday to Thursday. Uh and Friday is that flex day, so don't email or call or text or slack your teammates unless you would do it on a Saturday or Sunday and use that time however you see fit. If you want to catch up on the week before and get ahead and do a little work, that's fine, but there's no expectation that you are online. And you know, personally, as a mother, as Connor mentioned, I found it the most effective way to really achieve sustainable work-life harmony uh, by putting work in a bit of a smaller box than we usually put it in. And I'll say for the skeptics listening to this, uh, who might be rolling their eyes and saying, okay, easy for you to say nonprofit, but I've got bottom lines to hit. First off, we are very metric oriented. I can say our revenue and our reach impact uh, grew 300%, so 3x year over year uh, when we made this change. So not only maintained, but actually increased on our performance metrics. Our employee uh, offer acceptance rate and retention rate are 90% plus, also big increases. So a huge impact on our bottom line there. Um, And, you know, things like uh, remote work that are so treasured by so many people right now, those were kind of fringe concepts before the pandemic. We think four-day work week will go the same way where it's kind of on the fringe now, but it'll increasingly be the mainstream. Uh, And one last data point we point to is 100 years ago, the norm in America was a six-day work week. And people thought it was crazy to move to a five-day work week. So we shouldn't do things just because they've had how we've always done them. And we're so delighted to share the story of the four-day work week and hope more companies will adopt it.
2: Rebecca, I think that's wonderful. And I, I stumbled into the four day work week when I owned a money management firm back in the the 90s and early 2000s. and in 99 I was taking a a three a, a four day work week three day weekend and my my traders were getting uh, resentful and so I said okay if if you know the market's open five days a week and and we trade on the close so if you want the four day work week or really I called it the three day weekend and uh, I said that's fine but if Rebecca wants to take Wednesday off or whatever day she wants, then Connor has to be able to trade her accounts, and vice versa. So what ended up happening is everyone opted in. And if you wanted the day off for the three day weekend, then someone else had to be able to do your work. And I got free cross training. Everything you said, motivation went up. No one wanted to quit because they're like, well, I kind of like that three-day weekend. But what I haven't noticed in the data is how you get cross-training. Because if someone is out, if you have a business that has to be open, um, you still need the coverage. And I just started cross-training employees so everyone was doing more jobs. And
3: I think it's beautiful. Connor, would you like to add? That's a great note. Yeah, we. that is a very cool idea. One of the guiding principles of our... Our four-day work week, three-day weekend, uh, and something that we learned in our pilots was that it had to be the same days; it had to be shared days, just given the our, the way that our model worked. But I think there's so many different ways that you can cut it, like you said, and there's so many of these advantages that you can unlock. And Michael, it is this it is this Trojan horse. This is I don't think we realized when we did it at the time, but it it's kind of like the Affordable Care Act or these other like legislation. Where, you know, once you have it. You just got to get it through. And once you do, no one's going to want to give it up, right? So I think people, as as a retention tool, you come into Merit America, you experience life this and and a a sense of spaciousness and control and agency that you're not used to. And then the idea of going back to the five-day work week and losing that, activating that loss aversion for employees, I just think it's a really good, not only is it, investing in the wellness of your, of of your employees, but it's also a stellar retention tool. Oh yeah.
1: Absolutely. And you're actually Rebecca, to answer your question, you're going to hear a lot of the folks who listen to this podcast, we've had representative uh, Takano on to talk about the legislation he introduced around four day work week. So we have lots of fans of the four-day work week um, who have been guests and and talked about from it from a policy perspective to an outcomes perspective. Um, I want to quickly pivot. First of all, there's about I want I wish I could talk to you for the next two days because there's so many subjects that I want to tackle with you. And there's so much that you have said from an entrepreneurial perspective. Um, to I really love what you talk about from a cultural perspective and having presence. But there's one conversation that's probably top of mind and part of every conversation I'm having right now, which is generative AI and the impact that's going to have on, I'm in the talent management consulting space, you're in education, as well as working with, you know, in the intersection of education and talent management consulting and benefits to employees, um where do you think AI is going to where is it going to take your Merit America in the next 5 years are you is it an optimistic hopeful outlook uh, are you a little bit tentative and a little bit <laughs> frightened of the outlook i think every day i see something amazing and then it's always like but it might be the end of humans um so <laughs> where where do you uh where do you sit on the spectrum of ai and embracing it as part of your what you see the future of merit america and uh and the future of the workforce and the type of skilling and education that's going to be required by the workforce in the future
3: wow that is a big question. Tessa, I think this is actually a good time to come out and say that Rebecca and I are AIs.
1: <laughs> are you avatars? Or is this is We this are avatars. Yes, avatar. I, this is uncomfortable
3: for everyone. Connor Very and Rebecca nice. are actually out right now. No, I, it, it's such a good question. and something that Rebecca and I are talking about constantly and are so excited about thankfully we have really, really close partnerships with the folks at Google and OpenAI and have been working with the the teams there on different ways that we can stay ahead of this uh and, and 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 learn about these really exciting innovations look there's there's so much uncertainty there's so much excitement we don't know what's on the horizon i don't think anyone anyone really does um But what we do know is that we are in the business of helping talented, driven individuals navigate career changes. And so when you think about mass disruption coming from artificial intelligence, when you think about people trying to understand how they fit in into a new world of work, I can't imagine an organization better suited to help folks understand how they fit in, how they can lead uh, lives that are, um, uh, where they're able to, and, 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 and pursue careers where they're able to support their families and, 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 and build passions and skills that, that give them meaning than Merit America. Uh, again, our whole model is using, how do we use human coaching to help folks navigate these shifts? And, uh, we think that given that only a human coach, like only a human, can be a human coach. Uh, and and given that that is such a such an important part of our work, uh, we actually we're betting on human. We're we're betting on the the need of coaching as we as we navigate these these shifts. So yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty. Overall, we're really bullish. We're using it internally to figure out ways that we can drive more impact and excellence at the org and. And we're working with the right folks to help us to help us understand how to, to use this technology for good.
4: And at a macro level, instead of having a huge number of people losing their jobs, if we can rethink work and job sharing mm-hmm. and say actually maybe everyone works a little bit less and we we have a healthier balance, mm-hmm. work and and everything else in life. So yes, it's a, it's a huge tailwind to us at Merit America. And we are fundamentally optimistic uh while wanting to make sure the right guardrails are there.
1: That's right. real quick before. And I know Michael, you're going to ask a question. I just wanted for clarification, are you centrally in North America or are you global
4: as a, as a company? National in North America.
1: National in North America. Cause I, the only reason I ask is that when we talk about work and the kind of the status of work, it is, um, it's a very American culture to overwork, to, you know, to, to think about it this way. And then our, um, I work for a global company and my colleagues in Europe just seem to have every Monday off with a different holiday. And I'm like, this is inequitable. <laughs> Americans, we only have like eight eight holidays all year. And in the Netherlands, and the UK, they had three Mondays off last month. I was like, can I celebrate the monarchy too? <laughs> um, but it's, uh, so I was just curious if what you're doing, but I really love that you're trying to change work. Here in the United States and the concept of work, because I do think we can take a note from a lot of our colleagues across the pond and the way that they think about the balance between work and life. I think it's really important. And Michael, I know that you have a great question around humor.
2: Uh yeah, this is for, for Connor and, and Rebecca. Uh before the show started, Rebecca held up a book on humor. And I said, What was that? And I think it's Connor's book. Connor, what's what's the book and how does humor play a role? uh, in your work and organization.
3: Yes. The book is called humor. Seriously. Uh, I it's, it's, uh, written by Dr. Ocker and Naomi Bagdonis, uh, who I, who I, who I teach with at, at Stanford GSB. And, and we work with GSB at Stanford Graduate School of Business. Uh, we work with students on how we can bring more levity, joy, and humor to to their work as they as they lead and as they build organizations and really do really difficult meaningful impactful things while being on the precipice of a smile and 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 ultimately bringing more humanity and kindness to the to the work that we do and and I, and I and I do think that that is that's core to, definitely core of the way that Rebecca and I work with one another and 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 aspire to lead but I I just think generally we have a very funny team i mean the, the just like s- folks are so sharp and uh down to play and i think that that balance of gravity and levity is what allows us to do really difficult things it puts gas in the tank it keeps things in perspective and makes things feel maybe a little less heavy and we don't always do it well you, you know i think there are um we can always do things better but it's it's one of the reasons why i just i love i, I love going to work every day
2: Mm -hmm. Wow. Rebecca, did
3: you want to add to that?
4: I think just an example to bring this to life and fast forward three years to March 15th or so, 2020, very scary times, uh, unclear for everyone's health and safety and the impact it would have on Merit America. At that time, we were running programs that had an in-person component uh, and trying to decide, you know, do we cancel it indefinitely? How does this work? And we got the whole team together on a Zoom all-hands, and Connor kicked us off with some you know somber remarks about the times we were living in, and we're going to share more about our plans. And he passes it over to me, but when he does so, he left his screen share on, uh, and the whole team is like gasping with trepidation, like, does he know he's still sharing his screen as he opens up Google and types in, inspiring things CEOs say during hard times. And it was just this great moment of realizing that no one had the answers. We were all scared <laughs> and nervous. And yet there was still humor to be found, even in those dark moments.
2: <laughs> thank well, you so much for being on the show. Laura's going to close us out. Yes. So, love to have you back.
4: Yes. Rebecca and
0: Connor, thank you so much. It's been such a joy to meet you both and to hear about Just the amazing things you're doing at Merit America. I just just loved it. And to Michael's point, we would love to keep talking with you because it just feels like you're doing such important work and really progressive in the way that you think about it. And that's what we're all about. So thank you so much uh, for your time today.
3: Thank you. So much fun. Appreciate you all.
2: We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to hear future episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Happy at Work podcast and leave us a review with your thoughts.
1: Are you interested in speaking on a future episode or want to collaborate with us? Let us know. You can send us an email at admin at happyatworkpodcast.com.
0: And lastly, follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter for even more happiness. See you soon.